0: The scripture reading this morning is taken from Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 19 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hello again, Church. Uh, my name is Tyler, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it really is great uh, to be here this morning. I mean that sincerely. I don't know if you can tell this has been one of those mornings where a lot of stuff hasn't gone the way we have planned. Uh, we didn't have, honestly, major upgrade in second service. The screen was not working in first service, so we were grateful that Kenny you know, had some songs with some repeating lines we could pick back up on. Uh, And then you heard even a little ago the announcement about uh, some children's ministry stuff, but man, it's reminded me this morning that what we really need when we gather here, we've got each other, right? That's God's people assembled. We have God's word. We have good music and we'll just let the rest of the stuff kind of fall where it lands. And so sincerely, it is great to be here. Uh, I'm happy to see you all here uh, this morning. And so I wanted to start with some wisdom that my dad's always shared with me. I saw my parents this week, and my dad has always said that wait is a four-letter word, uh, by which he's meant that waiting is is a curse. It's a bad thing to say. It's a word uh, that we should never hear. He doesn't like waiting, and I don't either. Uh, This past week, as I said, I traveled back to Indiana to see my parents, and my journey took me through Kansas City's airport, which I would argue is one of the worst places in the world to wait. Have you ever had a layover at the Kansas City Airport? Friends, it is awful. In 2014, I had a eight hour layover at the Kansas City Airport. I saw some raised eyebrows up there. Yes, it is as bad as you can imagine. I felt like I was stranded in some concrete, you know, ceiling, honeycomb, Soviet prison uh, for hours. There was nothing to eat but like a soggy sandwich and a wilted salad. The bathrooms there, like one person at a time, bathrooms in an airport. I don't get it. I was stranded there. Uh, and in my frustration, I tweeted, this is my first time in Kansas City on this layover, tweeted a litany of things about Kansas City uh, that I later deleted when I started interviewing at Christ Community. So I don't like waiting Uh, And I'm pretty sure you don't either because people will do just about anything to avoid waiting. Uh, Folks will like pull out their phones at traffic lights, right, just to avoid a few seconds of waiting. Or people will get subscriptions for two-day delivery so you don't have to wait a second too long for, you know, kind of that new purchase that's coming your way. And in 2012, the New York Times published a story called Why Waiting in Line is Torture. And in it, the author kind of outlines all these ways that waiting has been used as torture throughout history. And then he gives a definition of waiting, and he says that waiting is the drudgery of unoccupied time kind of that drudgery of unoccupied time. And he said, that drudgery, it's unbearable. And then he goes on to describe the way that kind of this aversion to waiting, the fact that we hate waiting so much is something that people have actually capitalized on. And he talks about kind of this industry, a $5.5 billion industry, in fact, of impulse buy items in supermarket lines. Have you seen these? So This is like the gum, the chapstick, the tabloids, right? All placed right there in a place where you're Waiting, and the the rationale is people would rather spend money on something they didn't think they needed when they entered the store, instead of enduring another second of unoccupied time. Uh, In summary, my dad hates waiting, I hate waiting, we all hate waiting, and yet waiting is a part of life, isn't it? It's an inescapable human experience, it's something none of us can ultimately avoid. I mean, we have to wait, don't we, for, for big things and little things, for stuff that doesn't really matter and for stuff that really, really does. Which is why this morning as we wrap up our sermon series, Life, A Task Too Big For Us, our multi-month study of the book of Jeremiah, we're going to be exploring the subject of waiting. And specifically, we're going to be asking, how do we wait well? How do we wait well? Because waiting happens It cannot be avoided, and there are poor ways of waiting, and there are better ways to wait. There are ways to wait well. And this question, how do we wait well, it's a good question for us to be asking this morning because the particular historical person we've been studying, Jeremiah, was an expert on the subject. Jeremiah knew a whole lot about waiting. Indeed, I think you could argue that his life was defined about waiting. I see kind of two big periods of waiting in Jeremiah's life. Uh, The first, maybe if you recall from our, our first sermon in this whole series, we talk about Jeremiah being called as a prophet. So Jeremiah was called to deliver difficult news to God's people and to their neighbors. He was asked by God to share the news that some bad consequences were coming because God's people had been behaving badly. And so he says this news, and then it takes a long time for God to come through on that announcement, right? He announces some judgments coming, but then years pass and years pass and years pass, and people are mocking Jeremiah and imprisoning Jeremiah and saying awful things about Jeremiah. And he's waiting, waiting, waiting. Lord, you told me to say something. I'm waiting until he's finally vindicated and the consequence comes, right? So that's one period of waiting in Jeremiah's life. And then there's another period of waiting, I think, that once the consequence comes, once the punishment arrives, Jeremiah finds himself waiting again, waiting for God to redeem his people and restore his people and put everything back together. So Jeremiah, I would argue, is an expert on waiting, And so today, in order for us to learn from his wisdom and experience with waiting, uh, we're going to dive into two passages of Scripture. We're going to engage Jeremiah chapter 33, as well as Lamentations 3, which we just heard read moments ago. And we're going to be engaging Lamentations 3 because scholars argue that Jeremiah is both the author of the book of Jeremiah, which we've been studying, but also the author of Lamentations, which is kind of this book uh, composed of five big lament poems Uh, that it was written after the Babylonians uh, captured Jerusalem and sent God's people into exile. So Jeremiah, author of both the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, this morning we're going to be hearing his voice through both texts. And as we engage these scriptures, my prayer is that we'll learn how to wait well. So if you're tired of waiting and ready to hop into this morning's text, uh, would you join me now in Lamentations 3, Lamentations 3 beginning in verse 17, it's on page 688 of our community Bibles. Uh, Lamentations 317, Jeremiah writes this. He says, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. So this morning we start and we find Jeremiah once more in a place of deep sorrow and despair. This is where we've seen him throughout this series, hasn't it? Uh, Jeremiah says that he is out of peace, that he has forgotten what happiness is. His, His tank of endurance, it is on empty, right? He's out of hope, frustrated and crushed at the deepest level. And this is what happens when we wait, isn't it? Maybe not when we wait for, you know, something small like our, I don't know, our food to arrive at the restaurant, or the grocery checkout line, or kind of the video to buffer, right, when you're watching SNL on Sunday because you can't stay up on Saturday night anymore. Uh, it's personal, I'm always waiting, right? This is what happens when we wait, though, not for little things, but when we wait for big things, right, when we wait for a job and kind of no news comes, application after application, or when we wait for a diagnosis, but the doctors just seem to be stumped, or when we wait for a pregnancy test to come back with good news, or when we wait to find someone special to enter our lives, whether it be a good friend or a significant other, but we feel like we keep coming up empty. We wait and wait for those things, for things that matter, and we find ourselves feeling a whole lot like Jeremiah, don't we? I mean, we could just as easily write, my soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has perished, as has my hope in the Lord. You know, the great Dutch artist Rembrandt depicted Jeremiah's sorrow and hopelessness at this particular moment in history, after the Babylonians had come in and destroyed Jerusalem. And it's this painting entitled, Jeremiah Lamenting the Destruction of Jerusalem. And so we see it up there. And I love this painting. I think it's profound. You can kind of see burning Jerusalem in the distance. So that's those flames on the left side. And then Jeremiah in a cave kind of looking downward. I almost imagine him saying, you know, like, what now? You know, what now? Here I am waiting again. think that Jeremiah uh, is overwhelmed with sadness and despair. We see that in these first verses. I've forgotten what happiness is, and Rembrandt captures it well. Jeremiah had endured a long period of waiting for this judgment to happen, and now he's waiting again, waiting for God to restore the good fortunes of his people. And indeed, Jeremiah is waiting for God to put everything back together, for him to make things right for Jerusalem. It makes sense because the Lord had told Jeremiah to speak these words in Jeremiah 33. Listen to this. Jeremiah said one of his last prophecies, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. See, God had told Jeremiah to say these words as a prophet. Jeremiah had prophesied at the Lord's prompting that a day was coming when everything would be put back together for Jerusalem, when Israel's fortune would be restored, when Jerusalem would no longer be a city in ruins, but a city in safety. But that day hadn't come yet. And when we find Jeremiah writing here in Lamentations, it feels far off. It's living in the future. And so as he sat down to write Lamentations, Jeremiah says, you know what? I'm out of peace. I'm out of happiness. I'm out of hope. I'm waiting once more. So how did Jeremiah wait? And how do we wait well? I do think we find clues in this morning's text. So join me, if you will, in verse 19, Lamentations 3 19. Jeremiah continues. He says, Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it, and it is bowed down within me. So Jeremiah is saying, Hey, in the midst of this new period of waiting, is I find myself frustrating once, fr- frustrated once more, out of peace, out of hope. You know what? I'm reflecting on all that's happened. I'm continually thinking of the difficulty that I've encountered and the pain I'm experiencing. But then Jeremiah kind of turns things a little bit, and we see this in verse 21. He says, but this I call to mind, right? Even as I accurately reflect on everything that's happened and everything that's happening now, all the bad stuff that's happening, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the midst of his waiting, Jeremiah makes a concrete choice. And even as his circumstances remain difficult and overwhelming, he consciously turns his attention to God's past goodness. And that meditation on God's track record of faithfulness serves as a foundation for fresh hope. And it is in this way, I believe, that Jeremiah teaches us our first lesson this morning. How do we wait well? Well, first, we look back. We look back. While we're waiting on the test results or waiting for the phone call or waiting for some good news to arrive, we've got to look back. That's what we do while we wait. Looking back matters because looking back gives us perspective. Looking back consciously and deliberately removes us from the frustration of our present waiting and gives us a chance to remember God's past faithfulness. Because I don't know about you, but when I find myself in a tough spot, when I'm waiting for peace that I desperately desire, some sort of help that I desperately need, I can get so focused on the outcome I'm anticipating. I can get so zeroed in on the thing that's missing that I forget about all the good outcomes that I've seen materialize in the past. I focus on what's currently missing and and I forget about everything that's been provided in the past. I zero in on what needs to happen and I totally forget what has happened. And in the process, man, I can become bitter and angry and restless and worried. But Jeremiah shows us that when we wait, when we find ourselves in season where it seems like any kind of positive resolution is far off, it's important that we look back and consider ways that we've already seen God's faithfulness and goodness and care. And notice this church, when Jeremiah looks back, he doesn't negate or dismiss the very real sorrow and hurt that he's experiencing in the present. I mean, that's the beauty of verses 17 and 18, right? I'm out of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. Jeremiah isn't saying, no, 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 it's not really that bad right now. Instead, he's saying something different. Instead, he's saying, you know what, it is that bad right now. But I also remember other times when it was that bad and the Lord showed up in those moments. And so I'm going to consciously recall those now. Looking back, it doesn't mean that we whitewash the present. It just means that we acknowledge our history We remember other really, really difficult times and we're honest with ourselves about how God has shown his love and care to us in those moments. Jeremiah consciously chooses to remember God's past faithfulness even in the presence of difficult circumstances. So when we find ourselves waiting, we've got to look back. You've got to check our rearview mirrors of our lives for indications of God's past faithfulness and love, which means this morning I've got to ask you, uh, how's your memory? How's your memory, right? And I don't just mean like, can you play the matching game well or whatever it is. Like, how disciplined are you? How good are you at recalling and remembering God's past faithfulness and goodness? Do you have regular practices or rhythms that help you call to mind specific evidences of God's faithfulness? Is this an area where you have great skill or is this an area where you could grow? And if it's an area of growth, can I suggest just a couple practices? that I think might be helpful, practices that could assist us if we're interested in cultivating stronger memory of God's goodness. Uh, Two practices. Here's the first. The first practice I'd like to suggest is sharing your story. Sharing your story. I mean, the fact is, one of the best ways to remember something is to speak about it. This is how our great human ancestors actually documented their history. They told the same stories again and again and again and again. Maybe some of you all have relatives that do that every Thanksgiving, right? I mean, sharing your story is a way to cement things in your own memory. So it's driving it deeper into you, even as sharing your story is also a way that we can encourage others. It does both things, right? It drives the story deeper into you, and it encourages others. Others, speaking about what God has done for you or what God has taught you to your friends or your family or to members of a community group or folks in your church or neighbors or coworkers, it's a great way to remember what God has done in the past to kind of drive that story deeper into who you are and also to encourage those you encounter. In fact, I can think of a particular member of this church who's really excellent at this discipline. She regularly shares a story of how God's been at work in her life. And those stories usually bring a smile to others. But I know, because I've got a little window into more of what's going on in her life, that her motivation for sharing those stories a lot of the time is to encourage and remind herself of what God's done for her, right? It does both things when we share our stories. And, and sharing your story is a great way to build your ability to remember God's past faithfulness. And maybe you're saying, okay, Tyler, uh, you're right? I can see what you're saying, but that sounds like a really big step for me. Well, maybe if you're not quite ready to share your story with others, you could share your story with yourself through journaling. That's like the introvert's way to share their story, right? It makes great sense. But it's doing that same process of recounting and driving down the details of what God has shown you or taught you deeper into who you are so that you've got more confidence and endurance when you find yourself in a difficult spot. So that's one practice if we want to get better at remembering God's faithfulness, sharing your story. That's one practice. Here's another, celebrating Thanksgiving. Celebrating Thanksgiving. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Tyler, I mean, Thanksgiving is over. Turkey Day 2017 has passed. We don't get the Macy's parade again for another year. Uh, And I'm with you. I lament that, but that's not the kind of Thanksgiving that I have in mind. Rather, I'm thinking of a practice that I know many in this community embrace of kind of taking a daily inventory at the end of the day. Hey, what is something that I can be thankful for? Did anything happen today that's worth celebrating or worth remembering that's worthy of my gratitude? Because the fact is that gratitude is a muscle. And like any muscle, it grows with use. So one of the best ways to grow in gratitude is to daily identify something worthy of celebration and thanks. Now, again, to be clear, church, I'm not advocating some kind of, hey, look on the bright side theology. This isn't me saying, you know what, you know, we should all just go around saying things aren't that bad, and it's been a tough year, but at least I get vacation next week, or it's been a really hard week, but I had a, you know, a nice cup of coffee this morning, so everything's fine. That's not it at all. And again, if you've been with us in this series, you remember, Jeremiah has taught us to pray honestly and lament openly. That, that's not what I'm saying at all, but what I am saying is this. I know for myself, when I'm waiting for something, when there's kind of one thing that I'm really hoping God will deliver on, I can find myself saying, God, you know, thanks for my talent. God, thanks for my good looks. No. Uh, <laughs> God, thanks for, thanks for everything that you've given me, but I really want this. You know, God, thanks for everything that you've provided, but I'm really all about that, Right? And what happens in those moments is I can dismiss every good gift that God's given because I'm so fixated on the one thing that's missing. And again, to be clear, friends, that doesn't mean that that thing isn't missing. And it doesn't mean that it's bad to wait for or lament for that thing that's gone or that thing that we're anticipating. But it does say we put ourselves in a dangerous spot when we get in that position where we're willing to dismiss good gifts that God's given us. I mean, that's the danger here. And Jeremiah is modeling something different. He's saying, no, 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 you want to be able to call to mind God's goodness in the present moment. I mean, I think this is true, church. We need to become better at recognizing the ways God has provided for us, even when something big is missing. We could probably all improve in that area. Now, I've got to say, look, I know that this is difficult I know that some days it feels like there is very little to be thankful for. I I totally get that. I know what that's like. But if gratitude is a muscle that grows with use, it's also a muscle that can atrophy with disuse. In other words, if we don't regularly identify things to be thankful for, we will become less and less able to recognize realities that should prompt gratitude in our heart. We can just lose that ability with time. That's just the way it works. And so when Jeremiah finds himself waiting on God, he decides to look back. He decides that he wants to deliberately call God's past faithfulness. And so I've got to ask this morning, hey, how's your memory? You know, how do you do in this kind of discipline of recalling to mind ways that God's shown up for you? How do you do when it comes to reflecting on what God's done for you? And if you need to improve this morning, two suggestions. Again, sharing your story and celebrating Thanksgiving. I think that's the first lesson Jeremiah teaches us in this morning's text. Hey, how do we wait well? Well, first we look back. That's the first lesson. And here's the second. We find it in <laughs> verses 24 through 26. Let's look there now. Lamentations 3:24. Jeremiah writes this. He says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Right after lamenting his circumstances and intentionally reflecting on the ways that the Lord has provided for him in the past, Jeremiah makes a statement about the present. Jeremiah says, Hey, in my present moment, as I'm waiting on the Lord, the Lord is my portion. Jeremiah says, it's the Lord who's giving me sustenance in this difficult season. It's the Lord who's giving me strength as I wait. The Lord is my portion. Now, this word portion, I think this is an interesting word. It's not a word that I use a whole lot, although maybe after Thanksgiving, I probably used it the most I ever use it in this past week, right? Talking about another portion or portion control or whatever it might be. But what does Jeremiah mean when he talks about the Lord is my portion, well, to understand that, we need to remember that portion is a word that literally means a part or an allotment, right? A little, a little bit of something. In biblical times, it was often used to refer to one's share of an inheritance, right? So there's a big family inheritance and I have my portion, or it could also be used to speak of ones like daily ration of food. This is my, my portion of food. And so when Jeremiah says that the Lord is his portion, what he's saying is, hey, the Lord is my daily supply, my supply of strength and encouragement and energy and confidence, even in the midst of my waiting. Jeremiah says, hey, the Lord is that seemingly small ration of goodness that I receive in the middle of waiting, that small dose of encouragement that I rely on, that nevertheless, even though it seems small, it always is enough, right? It's always all that I need. The Lord is my portion, Jeremiah says. And from that sustaining power, I find hope. I think jeremiah is teaching us here that while we wait we need to recognize that the lord gives us strength in our waiting so that means that while we wait we need to look back yes but we also we need to look around we need to look around and we need to see the lord's present provision in the midst of our long wait Because the fact remains that even though the Lord sometimes causes us to wait, right, even though it feels like, God, you could solve this today, you know, why am I waiting? Even though the Lord sometimes causes us to wait, he always waits right next to us. And he always supports us and supplies us in our waiting. And so while we're waiting for, you know, a final resolution or waiting for the court's approval of something or waiting for our supervisor to take action, God is there with us. And so we've got to look around. We've got to see how God is present with us, sustaining us in the midst of our waiting. I mean, Jeremiah is able to recognize that in his present circumstance, the Lord is his portion. The Lord is fueling him as he endures this wait. And that's what enables him to say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness and even in the midst of terrible circumstances right remember verse 17 and 18 I'm out of peace I've forgotten what happiness is even in the midst of terrible circumstances jeremiah <coughs> is able to say god's love is unceasing and his mercy never ends in fact it's new Every morning, I would say Jeremiah articulates what's probably the most famous verses from Lamentations. If you've heard anything from Lamentations before, it's this, right? He's able to articulate one of the most famous verses from the book of Lamentations in the midst of a difficult wait because he's sustained by the Lord who is his portion. Jeremiah says God's mercies are new every morning, even when his circumstances suggest he should feel otherwise. And how does this happen? I mean, how does Jeremiah do this? How does he have this kind of attitude? And how do we wait well? Well, again, just a few more thoughts. I think if we want the Lord to sustain us like this in our waiting, if we want the Lord to be our portion, if we want God to be our motivator and encourager and support in the midst of a long wait, I think this morning we can ask ourselves this question, man, man, how's my appetite? What is it that I'm looking for to sustain me in the midst of a long wait? You know, am I hungry for kind of Netflix to distract me during my wait? Am I looking for kind of some sort of entertainment to occupy me during my wait? Is it, you know, just a night out? If I could just kind of get one night out and away, you know, that would pacify me in the midst of my wait. You know, what are we looking to to sustain us or encourage us or buoy us up in the midst of our long wait? How's how's our appetite? What are we asking to sustain us? because I think this is true. Many of us don't experience the Lord as our portion because we aren't looking for the Lord to be our portion. Right? God wants us to stain us while we wait, but we have got to calibrate the eyes of our heart to see his new mercies every day, and we have got to tune the ears of our heart to hear the words of comfort and encouragement he wants to speak to us through his word. Right? We've got to seek God's encouragement, and when we do, church, God gives it. I mean, remember what the Lord told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God loves to be found when we look for him, and he wants, us to, he wants to sustain us in our waiting. So how's your appetite? I mean, what are who are you looking for for encouragement and help in the midst of your waiting? You know, what are you asking to strengthen you over the long haul the Lord wants to be your portion. Are, are you asking him to be that for you? Right? Are you seeking him in prayer and in his word and with others and in community, trying to say, God, you know, you say here this portion. I need to experience that in my life. How's your appetite? You know, we started our time together this morning by asking this question, how do we wait well? I think this morning we've seen if we want to wait well, we've got to both look back and look around, right? We've got to recall the ways God's been faithful to us and we've got to invite God to be our portion in our current circumstances and see the ways that he wants to be with us. But I would say that how we wait well is not the only question this text is trying to address. There's another question that Lamentations 3 is going after. Uh, there's another question, a deeper question, if you will, that I want, like to explore together in the moments that remain. In Lamentations 3, Jeremiah shows us how to wait well, but he also answers another question. That question is, what happens while we wait? What happens while we wait? And I think that this chapter, it gives us a window into what's happening to us and in us while we wait in the midst of those long periods where all we seem to hear is not now and not yet. And we see this specifically addressed in verses 26 and verses 31. So let's go there now. Jeremiah writes, It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 4, verse 31, The Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Jeremiah says, hey, it's a good thing for us to wait on the Lord to follow through on his promises. But why, Jeremiah? Why is this a good thing? Jeremiah says, well, it's because the Lord can be trusted. Because though he might prolong our waiting, and in that sense, cause grief, that's what Jeremiah is saying there when he says, though he may cause grief, right? God could do it tomorrow, but though he might prolong our waiting, the Lord nevertheless can be trusted to follow through on everything he's promised because of his compassion and his steadfast love. Jeremiah says, hey, it's good for us to wait because the Lord will always come through. In other words, Jeremiah says, hey, it's good for us to wait because waiting actually produces hope. Waiting, Jeremiah says, waiting produces hope. Because as we wait on the Lord, Jeremiah says, our capacity for hope increases. We become those kind of people that can say, hey, I know who I'm waiting on. And I know that person to be someone who's good and faithful. And so my hope, my hope can grow. I trust that it's coming. I become a more hopeful person. We become the kinds of people who are anchored in God's promises, who trust that God uh, will do everything that he said he will do. And this way, Jeremiah says, waiting produces hope. Waiting on the Lord to come through makes us the kind of people who are better able to hope in the Lord. Now, I'll agree, church, this is very tough news. But in other ways, I would say that this is good news. And here's why I think this can be good news this morning. This is good news because it means if you're here this morning and you are waiting... Waiting for God to bring resolution to something that's been unsettled for a long time, or waiting for God to bring healing to a relationship that's been broken for a long time, or waiting for kind of this season of intense engagement and intense service, and it feels like one thing on top of another, you know, waiting for that to kind of come to an end and some more balance to be restored. If you're here this morning and you're waiting, I think this fact that waiting produces hope can remind us that we don't need to feel like God's abandoned us in our waiting, You don't need to feel like you've been abandoned to your waiting, but rather you can know that waiting has a purpose. And that purpose is that waiting is producing hope. Waiting produces hope. That's what Jeremiah teaches us, that while we wait, even for big things that are good things to happen in our life, we become the kind of people who are better able to hope, to look ahead and trust that something good is coming, even though we don't see it currently. You know, this past Monday, and Hepzibah already mentioned it, but a a group of us got together to decorate our downtown space for Christmas. Uh, And if you know me, I love Christmas decorations. It was a a great night for me. I know Jerry loves Christmas too. Uh, So we got to unpack the trees and unpack the lights and, you know, put the whole garland up here. And there were some issues with the garland. So Ben and Carly fixed the garland. And we got the wreath on the door. You know, everyone, kind of all the little elves scurrying around. But there was one group of people in the midst of this Christmas decorating who sat kind of at a table we had set up right here. And they wrapped empty boxes for us to put under our Christmas trees. So if you see those boxes under the trees, uh, there's nothing there for you. Uh, Those are empty boxes, Uh, probably stuff that's been shipped to the church through Amazon this past year, something like this. But all our empty boxes in the church wind up under those trees every year for Christmas. So that was one crew, honestly. And they did a great job. There's shiny paper on these things now, bright bows. It looks, you know, exactly like a living room over there. I love it, right? So a whole table of folks wrapping those empty boxes. And those boxes got me thinking, you know, thinking about Christmas, uh, thinking about waiting And I remembered kind of past Christmases in my life, you know, Christmases where I wasn't the only person in my apartment, boo-hoo, you know, but there were other people around. I mean, Christmases when people would put stuff underneath the tree, right? And so I'd see boxes there, and if they had the name Tyler on it, it would mean, oh, that's something for me. You know, and I know that if there was kind of anything marked Tyler under the tree, it meant that something was coming. Something would be mine in due time. But in the meantime, I'd have to wait. And as I was waiting, I don't know if this was what Christmas was like for you, maybe as a kid or something, but gosh, over that month leading up to Christmas, my anticipation would grow. I'd want to know what's in the bag or the box. Sometimes I would peek if it was a bag. Don't tell my mom. Uh, You know, my cousin and I, one year we both knew we were getting the same Power Ranger. But anyway, uh, but I'd wait, right? The anticipation would grow and it would grow and you'd be waiting and waiting. And I knew that someday soon I'd be able to get at what was there waiting. But in the meantime, I'd I'd have to wait. And I think many of us are in a similar spot, church, if we think about our lives. We know and we've learned over this series in Jeremiah that God has promised us good things, life with him, life to the full. We know that our God has said that his plans are good for us, that he has a plan for our bright future, plans where we prosper. And from time to time, we might see small evidences of it. There might be little, you know, kind of like wrapped boxes, if you will, little things that remind us, oh yeah, something good is coming, but now I'm waiting We know that one day we'll experience the fullness of all that God is and all that God's planned and purposed for his people. We know that one day it won't be like this, that the empty places in our lives will be filled and the broken places in our lives will be (coughs) repaired and the tired places in our lives will be refreshed. But for now, we wait. And I want to tell you this morning that those of us who have faith in the Lord, those of us who know, God to be good, those of us who've seen and who've trusted what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, the way that he wants to put all the brokenness in the world back together by giving his own life to make things new, those of us to whom God's revealed himself and we've seen him as as good and faithful and kind and loving with new mercy every day, I want you to hear this, church. We don't have to wait with suspicion. We don't have to wonder if the rat boxes under our trees are actually empty props, We don't have to fear that all the waiting will amount to nothing because we have trust in the one in whom we're waiting. And that means that our waiting isn't simply the drudgery of unoccupied time. That means that our waiting is accomplishing something. And what is it doing? Well, it's making us new kinds of people, people that can look back and see God's past faithfulness to us. People that are better able to look around and invite God into our present difficult circumstances as our portion. But most importantly, it's forging us into people of hope, right? People who can recognize that our God of steadfast love, who gives new mercies every morning, can be trusted even as he waits. And that he will deliver on any promise that he's ever given to us because he's good and he's faithful and he's characterized by steadfast love for his people, That's what happens in our waiting church. There's no kind of empty box, gotcha moment at the end of our wait in Christ. All that God's promised in Christ will be ours, but in the meantime, we just have to wait. And so will you join me now as we pray for strength to endure what many times is a long wait? Oh, Lord. Oh, we're bad at waiting. (laughs) My dad's bad, I'm bad, like father, like son, all of us, Lord. We get restless, we get anxious, we... We want things quickly, Lord. Help us to remember that in our waiting, you are doing work in us. Help us to remember that as we wait, we can look back at your past faithfulness and we can look around to your present provision. Lord, form us into the kind of people that know that we can trust you fully. That everything you've promised, Lord, it's not some kind of empty promise. You're gonna come through, Lord. You're gonna deliver. You always do. You can be trusted. And so... God, let that knowledge sustain us as we wait, as we wait for good things, big things, things that would be great in our lives, Lord, but just for some reason haven't come yet. Lord, help us to have resolve and strength in those long waits. We know we need your help with it, so we're asking you for it this morning. Amen.